welcome back to another episode of Law Schoolers. It is Monday today, and our we had criminal law on Friday, and so a little a couple of these things aren't going to be as fresh. I apologize for that. And we had two topics that we talked about on Friday in two different class periods. One was a makeup class period. The first class period was on insanity, and that's what this episode is going to be on. And the next one is going to be on inchoate offenses. And let's go ahead and hop into insanity. So insanity, it was an interesting uh, discussion. Insanity is our last excuse and that we're going to be covering and if you remember what an excuse is, an excuse is something that you can't, well, it's something that is not good for society, but we give people an out because they have a good excuse. And insanity is one of those excuses. It's important to note that insanity is not a medical condition. It's actually a legal pronouncement. So doctors don't declare you insane a jury declares you insane. How does procedure work when it when somebody wants a insanity plea? Well, step one is that we need to understand that there's a difference between insanity and competency. A person needs to be competent in order to be tried. And that bar is actually very high. It's very hard to prove that you're not competent and the defendant needs to prove that they are not competent. Step two is that if they are competent, then the defendant would make a not guilty by reason of insanity, or an NGRI motion. Step three is that the defendant, after they make that motion, will undergo psychological testing. Uh, They are permitted to bring their own psychologist to testify on their behalf, Step four is that there's going to be trial, and testimony is going to be provided by both the defendants and the state's psychologists, and a verdict is going to be delivered. And there are a few options with the verdict, but if they are found in GRI not guilty by reason of insanity, well then, the defendant is committed for mental health treatment as long as they continue to be mentally ill and dangerous. And that's the procedure that insanity goes. But let's talk just briefly about why we excuse the insane, and then we'll go ahead and finish up by defining insanity. But why do we excuse the insane? Well, let's look at our two theories that we've talked about all semester, the utilitarian theory and the retributive theory. Utilitarian theory, the reason why we punish somebody is because we want to deter people from acting in a certain way so that we have a higher social benefit. The issue is that when somebody is insane, you can't actually deter them because they don't know what they're doing, and so they're just going to do it anyways. So you can't punish somebody underneath the utilitarian theory because you, you can't deter them. That also is the same with rehabilitation because that's another purpose why we use the utilitarian theory. You can't criminally rehil, uh, sorry, <clears throat> uh, somebody, but you can do it in a civil procedure, and so you it can't do that underneath the utilitarian theory. The retributive theory, though, is that we want to punish somebody for being morally blameworthy. Well, as an insane person, morally blameworthy, 
And the reason why we ask that is because did they know what they were doing was wrong? And if the answer to that question is no, well, then they can't be morally blameworthy, and thus we can't punish them underneath the retributive theory. So that's how ex uh, insanity becomes an excuse. So how do we define insanity? Because there are several insanity tests. Uh, we talked about, I think, three or four tests. I'm going to focus on only two because those are the only two that appear to be relevant today. That's going to be the McNaughton rule and then the MPC test. In State v. Johnson, we learn what both of these tests are. And State v. Johnson actually decides to adopt the MPC test. But let's go ahead and discuss what both of these tests are. The McNaughton test is going to be considered the common law test, then obviously the MPC test is going to be the model penal code. So the McNaughton test is that at the time of the offense, the defendant has a disease in the mind so that he did not know the nature and quality of his acts, or if he did know the nature and quality of his acts, that he did not know that those acts were wrong. The issue with this approach is that it's an all-or-nothing approach, meaning he's either going to be guilty or she's either going to be guilty or not guilty because it only looks into the cognitive capacity of the person and it doesn't look into any emotional things that could be going on as well, the vo volition of a person. The MPC test tries to accommodate for these things and says that a person is not liable for their criminal actions, for a mental disease or defect that causes a substantial capacity to either, sorry, a lack of a substantial capacity to either appreciate the wrongfulness of their conduct or to conform their conduct to the law. So how is this better or worse than the McNaughton test? Well, the thing with this is that it doesn't have an all or nothing approach. It looks at the volition because it's talking about their appreciation, as well as the cognitive aspect of things. However, there is still a problem. And the same reason why it's a benefit from the McNaughton test, it's also actually a con. This all-or-nothing approach can be a drawback. And the reason for that is because there's no line for the jury to know when a person becomes insane. And so ultimately, you rely on the testimony of expert witnesses, which is not good because the jury is supposed to be the fact finders and not the expert witnesses. And so ultimately, it's a lot more lenient approach if an expert can determine whether or not a person is insane. And as we had talked about earlier, insane is a jury question, not a medical question. So which test is used most popular today? Well, Jurisdictions vary a lot. The majority of jurisdictions in the United States are going to use the McNaughton test. And that was because after, after a presidential assassination attempt, a person got off with the MPC approach. Maybe it wasn't the MPC approach. They got off with one of the tests, and so they ended up wanting to go back to the McNaughton test. So 17 jurisdictions use the McNaughton test and then the remainder of the jurisdictions use a variety of the MPC, uh, the, the problem test, and ultimately 
those tests go into a wide variety. We could use these tests to apply. There's Yates v. State. It's a pretty, it's a pretty sad case to determine whether or not a person is insane based off of these two definitions. I will go into it. So Yates v. State, what happened here is that a mother had severe uh, mental illness of depression, and so she went to several doctors uh, to be treated, and she was actually getting better. Uh, she was improving. And then when uh, the day in question happened, she uh, killed her uh, children, and it, it was because she believed that uh, her bad parenting uh, was causing her children to be wicked, and so she didn't want them to, their wickedness to go, and didn't want Satan to reign, and so ultimately uh, she killed her children, believing that if she did so, Satan would be rooted out of them, and then she would be executed for her crimes, and as a result, Satan would be rooted out of her. And so let's apply this in test. Let's talk about the McNaughton test first to see how it works here. Well, we can ask at the time of the at the time of the offense, the defendant had a disease in the mind, so that element is met. That they did not know either the nature and quality of their acts. Well, she did know that she was killing her children, so so she did know that. So if she did know the nature and quality of the acts, did not know that the acts were wrong. Well, did she know that the acts were wrong? And this is really where you can make the argument. She didn't know that the acts were wrong because she believed that she was actually doing a good thing. But did she know that the acts were wrong because she would be punished for committing these acts? And that's really where the insanity question becomes an issue. In class, they debated about whether or not she was insane by this definition. And it was a toss-up uh, between the classmates. I think it was about a 50-50. And then Professor Jur says that he believes that she would have been insane underneath this test. The MPC test, going across those... A person is not liable for a mental disease or defect that causes a lack of substantial capacity to either, one, appreciate the wrongfulness of their conduct, or two, conform their conduct to the laws. Well, did she appreciate the wrongfulness of her conduct? And again, you can ask that same question that we had asked. Did she know what she was doing, or did she appreciate that what she was doing was wrong? And you're going to look into whether or not she was aware that she would be prosecuted for this. Or if she truly believed that what she was doing was right. And that is the insanity excuse. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join 
Law Schoolers Pro, and you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.